Demons of Magic, the show where I get into the minds of some of the world's best magic players. My guests and I talk about Magic the Gathering, but the game is just the starting point. The goal of the show is to highlight the players' stories, interests, and passions. This is not a magic strategy show. It is 100% focused on the players themselves. It is my belief that every person has a great story to tell, and my goal is to bring it out of them. I hope that you will enjoy these free-flowing conversations. Alright, so my guest today is someone who understands the game of magic on a deep level and is one of the game's best deck builders. He inspires players to brew decks and utilize their creativity. He is best known for innovating several decks, including the Living End deck. He put Living In on the map with a top four finish in Grand Prix Oakland in 2010. But that's not all. The real reason why I'm so glad to talk to him today is because of his views on magic and on life. He is someone who displays an incredible passion for life, for self-improvement, and for teaching. Whenever I hear him speak, I learn something. Whenever I read something he writes, I learn something else. So I am excited to have with me on the show today. Travis Wu. Travis, Yo, James. Thank you so going, much. <laughs> that, thanks so much. And I just want to, you know, that's very flattering. But I also want to say that I, I, I wouldn't say necessarily that I have a passion for teaching, but I've got a passion for sharing a love of learning. I'm a lifelong learner. Um, I, I don't, you know, I just share things that I learn. And a lot of, a lot of what I do is try to, try to spark discussions where I can learn more. So um, I don't really consider myself a teacher. You know, I'd say I'm a teacher within magic, but outside of that, I'm just trying to make people think, if anything. Excellent. So you have a passion for making people think about things. And uh, uh, yeah, okay, that's that's awesome. Because I, I've certainly, I certainly put you in the category of um, great thinkers. You know, like, that's that's why I enjoy your content is because you always inspire some thought in me whenever I I read something or of yours or hear you speak. I think that's uh, that's that's a good way. That's a great way to put it. Yeah, I'm definitely an in, kind of an intellectual junkie or uh, amateur intellectual. Oh, I guess technically I'm somewhat pro at it. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's the line between pro and amateur? I'm not sure, but I think the fact that you have quite a large audience means that you are uh, somewhat more on the pro side, I would assume. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm self-employed, or rather employed through uh, my work in the community, so I think that makes me professional. Is uh, I'm literally a professional, so um, yeah. not not that is I make a great living right now, but uh, I make a living, so I think I'm, I'm happy, very happy to be able to even do that. No, that's awesome, man. I mean, anytime you can make a living through doing what you're passionate about, that's that's the that's what life's about, right? So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I guess I'll kick off with the first question. Mm. If someone just met you on the street and they didn't know who you were, they shook your hand. Uh, how would you introduce to somebody who you are and what you do? Oh, um, honestly, I wouldn't. I just say, "What's up? I'm Travis. How's it going?" Um, and I think that you did a great job. It's hard to really introduce myself. I, I mean, I let my work speak for me. 
you know, people if people ask what I do for a living, that's kind of a different question. I would say I help gamers feel better, actually, probably. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of hard for me to say. Like, um, I'm not a I'm not a huge braggart, so it's it's a uh, I let people kind of figure out and decide for themselves. I think. So you let your work speak for itself. I mean, I guess so. I mean, although my work is speaking, so for the most part, so. <laughs> yeah. Excellent, right? excellent. So, I know that you've been playing Magic for a long time. How long have you been playing the game, and when did you first start playing the game? So my brother and I started in 1995. Um, we got in early because we were at in Seattle, the birthplace of magic, and my brother was in this advanced placement school where you know <laughs> nerds will get their magic cards, and we got I got introduced through him through a buddy, William, who's actually also good friends with CML. I've known CML since almost back then, and we just got not really hooked from the start. It was a good game, but we also played Star Trek CCG. We played Lord of the Rings. We played Dragon Ball Z. We played Pokemon. But all those other games, with maybe the exception of Pokemon, kind of died. So I just stuck with Magic because not really because I chose it, but what were the other options in, in terms of card games, right? Magic really won out. So I uh, just kept going with it. And even before card games, did you were you always immersed in other games as well? Yeah, um, I mean sports from the beginning. By the way, how's my audio? It's got my mic boosted up to ninety four. So tell me if it if uh, if it if it's peaking, and I will tone it down. But yeah, I mean we. I, I think my dad gave gave me a soccer ball when I was like two. Sports are games. Clearly, they're intellectual mm-hmm. and chess. Uh, I mean, we were given like soccer and chess at the start, mm-hmm. and I did soccer up through like seventh grade and chess up through like maybe third grade or something like that, and then kind of picked basketball and magic as my my game and sport of choice after that. Although I tried some other things. I mean, it's not, I'm not limited. I, I'm kind of eclectic person. I play other games and other sports too, but those became kind of my mains, right? Right. So even as a kid, it sounded like you were doing a mixture of physical sports and intellectual activities or, or games, right? Yeah, I've always been an athlete and I've always been a nerd. And it's interesting because there's more overlap than people think. Like there's our, our, a lot of our friend group where we would play, uh, you know, we would go out and play sports, and then we'd come in and play card games and video games. I think these things go together very naturally, and I also think that they go together in most cases. Uh, I mean, even from speaking with most Magic players, most most Magic players have played sports, or most competitive Magic players have competitive sports backgrounds, or a lot of them do, uh, and it's kind of an extension. You know, you can, once you're 22, 23, there's not really, unless you went pro, there's not really a a circuit for you anymore so that's one of the I mean basically I think that sports there's a huge overlap between nerd and, and jock culture and it is even mainstream I think mm-hmm. and it's not something that in the stereotypical stereotypical way 
people think of as coexisting, but to your point, it is something that happens very naturally, right? I mean, it's competitive this and competitive that, and people, or at least kids, I don't think they necessarily make those types of distinctions. I, I don't think anyway. It's weird, yeah. I mean, they put you in a box or you're one or the other. But I, I think back to we had this high school play group. We would meet and do drafts, and we had uh, we had like our friend Jamie went on to be captain of the Harvard soccer team. Uh, Kurt won uh, ultimate frisbee nationals, and we had uh, some football play. Like everyone in the group was an. Almost everyone in the group was an athlete, um, so, and I remember at the time there was a we were we were at one high school in in uh, Seattle, and there was a rival high school that was started up their own kind of magic group of guys our age, and they were like all in the swim team, so, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, I th- I think that 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 is way more normal than people. Then kind of the narrative is projected. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I mean, if it's happening across different schools, even right in your area, it it's it definitely means that it's not an isolated incident. So, yeah, yeah, and also, I mean, from I, I talk to magic players from all over, and I ask a lot. So, why magic? And some of, for some of them, it's I grew too old for competitive sports, and now I have a circuit I can compete in. Obviously, not everyone's competing in sports circuits, but um, if you're playing in Grand Prix, you are. And you know, I just, I, I, I think that there's a question of why do sports and games go together. But I, I think that that's self-evident, and it's more like why wouldn't they? Explain mm. to me why they should not. Mm, right, right. It's it's fascinating to hear this, um, not because I have experienced something different, but because you sort of validated. Because I know you're connected to a lot of Magic players, and of course you're able to understand their backgrounds in, in gaming and sports, and it just seems to me that it's a little bit different from the types of writing that I've been exposed to, uh, you being the exception, because I think you've always been good at blending different things together, and you know, this is life, this is, this is how I see it, I think that's what I enjoy about your writing, but I think often a lot of Magic writing or domain-specific writing, maybe by necessity, has to be very insular. So I never get that feeling when I when I read works by other authors. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, I get what you're saying, that there's this... I just had a conversation with CML today about corporatization of magic content, where mm-hmm. we have to be kind of... It's like multi-level marketing. We're boosters of the game. But, I mean, for me, it's just hard to, to stick with one thing. You said that I have a blend of ideas. I'm a blend of, of different cultures, right? I'm mixed race. So it's just a natural manifestation of my biology, I think, that I'm going to be like unusually blended in my interests, or it's part of my core identity at the very least. So you said that you're a mixed race. Uh, what, is, what is your background exactly? So about half of my family is from Eastern Asia and half is from Northern Europe, which it's hard to get further away than that, maybe like mid-Southern Africa or like um, America's but um, yeah so I mean there's a mix I think that that is probably explains a lot of things about me okay and you had also mentioned that you play games these card games with your brother is uh, what's the age age difference is he an older brother younger brother 
So he's 18 months older. So he was a nice opponent growing up because he's just a little bit smarter and a little bit bigger up until puberty, right? <laughs> yep. So it was, uh, I got to be, it's, it was good for me because I became comfortable around bigger people, comfortable around older people, comfortable around smarter people, which I think helped me find mentors later on. Because mm-hmm. um, he was, you know, I had a mentor uh, of sorts in him. But yeah, I mean, you mentioned in, in the intro that I top forward some Grand Prix in Oakland with living at. I'm, I'm much more proud of and more excited about Elliot and I, my brother and I, top aided Grand Prix Oakland in 2014, or was it 13, 14, 13? Um, but so we did that together. I mean, we went on and played on the Pro Tour. And uh, so, I mean, it's from all the way from 1995 to playing the Pro Tour together in 2014, I think. I mean, it's just crazy that it took 20 years for that to happen, but it finally did. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that's an amazing run, right? And I had no idea that, my apologies, I didn't know that Elliot played competitive magic. I thought maybe he kind of dropped off and you, you kept going, but that's 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 amazing. He did. I mean, he... he uh has only played in like three or four Grand Prix and he's top eight at one of them, which is, I've only played in like 11 or 12, but I mean, that's, I've, I've taken a lot, I've taken probably twice as many shots as him. So, <laughs> so he's just really good at the game. He just like comes out of retirement and hits a game winning shot kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, he's probably better than me and smarter than me in most ways, <laughs> but, uh, uh, he just doesn't, uh, he, he's not, he doesn't, go after the spotlight in the same way I do. Yeah, so was he your earliest opponent as far back as you remember? Oh, yeah. I mean, he was my only opponent for the longest time. Uh, Magic Online was a massive revelation for us because Magic, we didn't play Magic that much up until Magic Online because you can only play against the same opponent with the same decks so many times until it just sucks, right? Yeah. So Magic Online was this innovation where we could be, play like Team Magic. We... Uh, analyze plays together and play against opponents together and and that really was massive for our development in the game is is two i mean there was this is a little the summer between my seventh and eighth grade or eighth and ninth grade we drafted three times a day for a summer on magic online Wow, that's insane, man! You guys, did you guys go to class? <laughs> I, I was. I mean, this is the summer. I was taking a math class during the summer because I'm a nerd and I took summer school. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I wasn't far enough ahead, right? I had to get further ahead. That's right, man! Uh, You're falling behind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If I'm not continuing to get to snowball further and further ahead, I'm falling behind. And we would play sports too. We did a lot of golf and tennis that summer. That was kind of before I discovered basketball. But, I mean, that was... If there's any, like, time that I got good in Magic, it was that summer where we just drafted three times a day and we didn't really have to pay for cards because we won so much that the next one just paid for the next one, paid for the next one. I'm really curious about this, Travis, because you... How do I put it? I often hear about players who think they're really good in their area and then they go play in some kind of tournament and they get destroyed and then they kind of learn through adversity but it sounded like for you and your brother you guys were just winning whatever it is that you guys were doing magic related kind of 
early on, right? Is that is that fair? Pretty much. I mean, my brother, we went to a tournament in like fourth or fifth grade. How old are you then? Like nine? Like how, how many nine-year-olds go to tournaments uh, yeah. and got and got crushed? But we didn't play another tournament until we were like immediately started winning tournaments because we had that summer of Magic Online. And we went from like nothing to 1920 or 1930 rank on something like that, 1900s on Magic Online draft. For those of you guys who draft online, you know that's hard. That's not easy to do. So, and I mean, we were 13, 14. It wasn't like you go. We went to the tournaments and immediately got crushed. It was like we were beating pro players online, and we went to FNM and we're immediately winning FNM. And we went, then finally found out about PTQs and went there. Elliot top aided his first PTQ, and I got 12th. Um, wow. And these are like an 80 person. This was, this was, uh, yeah. So, I mean, it was from the beginning. It was just like, we are really good at this, you know? I, I didn't have that experience at sports. Mm-hmm. I, I was not unathletic, but not, neither of us was gifted at, at athletics, but like, mm-hmm. we were definitely had some sort of intellectual advantage, whether through biological or just having books and games. Uh, in the crib basically I'm really fascinated by this because I am curious how you guys were able to sort of get into the flow of competitive magic and really understand the game on a deep enough level so young that you're able to to do well like I I feel like when I when I look at narratives of other players it usually takes them a bit of time I mean how how did you guys what how did you get guys get so simpatico with magic right away well, it wasn't right away because I mean, we top aided those PTQs in like 2003, so it had been like eight years. But I mean, it helped that along the way we had played so many different strategy games. We were both we had I mean we'd gotten private schooling, or Elliot was in like the top one percent. We were both in like the top, you know advanced placement, whatever. So we had we thought we were really smart, which helps if you just have obnoxious cocky confidence right yeah, yeah but i mean we played like i mean the main thing was how many different games we played Ma- like i said all sorts of card games magic pokemon dragon ball z star trek star wars star trek and star wars and um uh Lord of the rings and we played all sorts of video games age of empires strategy um we we're very competitive uh, sports, soccer, tennis, the strategy and all this, discuss chess, uh, you know, like uh, some basketball, some basically just very, you know, eclectic uh, knowledge of strategy led to, I think. And I mean, it was like raw takes as well. We uh, were reading Star City games every day immediately after school mm-hmm. from like seventh grade. And I, I we each wrote articles for some mtgzone.com in like eighth grade, mm-hmm. and then we draft. We had done like hundreds of drafts by eighth grade, and then we show up at tournaments and we're already smashing. So immediately got mentored by the best player in the region, mm-hmm. Mike Thompson, and you know from there it's just uh, it's not really special. You know I, I think that uh. I have this book, Bounce, which is about the science of success. If you take two kids around the same age and give them a game or a sport, 
table tennis, for instance, from very early on, like uh, earlier than everyone else, they're just going to dominate. There's, they're not special necessarily other than that. that's a special situation, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, you guys were immersed in that world, and you said, you know, there's a wide variety of games that you enjoyed, which will carry over into Magic, but it sounds like you guys also, quite frankly, just put in the work. Like, it, it was not an overnight thing, right? Put in the work. Yeah, not at all. I mean, it took, like, uh, I didn't qualify for the Pro Tour until 2008, and that was, it was 13 years later. Years, right? Mm-hmm. So, it was, I mean, it, it took a lot of attempts, too. I might have played in 30 PTQs or something. Well, not a crazy amount but compared to some of these guys, but but uh, it definitely, you know, I flew to put in the money and flew to Grand Prix as well, so. Right. So going back to your brother a little bit, your, mm-hmm. your brother Elliot, what was it like playing against him? Was it like a, a rivalry or was it something else where you guys just wanted to get better together? Well, I mean, it was like kind of a rivalry. We didn't play that much until we could play together, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, very much a team, team feel. Some brothers are very competitive against each other. Um, but, you know, as soon as we... We always enjoyed playing on the same team. So it was like the goal was to... The first goal was to qualify for junior nationals together, which we did. And um, I even qualified for regular nationals and felt bad about it because he didn't do it with me. Um uh, Right, so it's like the opposite. I don't want to be better than him. I want to do everything, uh, succeed with him. So we tried to qualify for the Pro Tour together and failed at that for some time. And then once I was on the Pro Tour, again, I felt bad about it because he wasn't there. So finally, when we uh, were in the the top eight of a Grand Prix together, it was like, okay, we've accomplished what we set out to accomplish. The The goal, the goal was to do it together uh, i'm not i don't think we even like said that specifically but it was kind of understood that that's what we were trying to do right and that's that's a that's a great story because um i have a sibling as well i have a younger brother and we've always been more on the rivalry competitive side i i'm curious to know how was it just natural that you guys were sort of thinking more as a team or as like you know this is this is not a zero sum game like i we want i want you to do better i want you to do as just as well as me like was there something particular in your in your guys's upbringing that made you embrace the teamwork aspect well there's there's a certain dynamic when competing with someone where um in in our relationship when i i don't mind losing like i was used to it because you know, if you're three and you're going up against someone who's five at anything, you're just going to get crushed. So um, I became very comfortable losing since the beginning, which has helped me a lot, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Elliot, maybe not as much. So there's a pattern that developed where as soon as I consistently started to beat him at a game or a sport, we would stop playing. Um, like, we got into basketball together, but... Um, I trained harder than him and started to beat him consistently, and then we basically never played again. So uh, there was just, like, if we wanted to do things together, we had to be on a team. It was just, um, that's kind of why. It's just, and again, it's just boring to have the same opponent all the time. Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you guys are competitive, uh, and it's just that you want to make sure that you are continuing to play whatever game it is in a level where you feel like you, or with opponents who you feel like you are being challenged and where you you are you're being challenged but you're still capable of winning and so okay i i, I kind of I yeah kind of i mean we're we're both very competitive i would say or somewhat competitive but we're not competitive against each other it's because we play against each other there's zero sum i'm i would much rather play uh, be in a scenario where we can both win like when we both win that's awesome mm -hmm. i see I, I get zero pleasure out of him losing Got it. it hurts me, right? Right, right. Um, and you had mentioned basketball. You know, you I guess your dad gave you a soccer ball when you were two, but you got into basketball. Can you tell me how you got into basketball and how what you enjoy about the game? I assume that you still play it today. Yeah, I still play basketball. Um, well, again, we, t we got into magic because that's Seattle culture. It's possible. It's because basketball is Seattle culture. It is mainstream. There are, you know, kids in my school introduced to me, it to me. Mm -hmm. um, I always love to jump, and basketball really rewards jumping, so that's one of the reasons why. Um, I like to score, <laughs> and basketball rewards scoring. Mm -hmm. And I like teamwork. I like to work with people, and basketball is a good way to do that. So um, there's a lot of things that make it a really fun thing to do. Do you have any particularly good basketball memories? Oh man, I have so many. Um, yeah, I have. <laughs> <laughs> Tell, talk about putting you on the spot, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the thing about Magic is like most of my 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 basketball memory highlights are way beyond my Magic ones because of the very nature of the adrenaline involved in basketball. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, I win a Magic tournament. I'm not screen running down court screaming, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you could, I mean, you could, but uh, <laughs> you chose not to. <laughs> yeah, even even top eighting with my brother was like, I remember more like the picture of it than the actual event. Mm. But I have very vivid memories of basketball. You know, just ran like stuff like hitting certain game winners with certain players on my team or certain pickup games or certain dunks I've done or moves but or play I mean I like there's I have bucket list stuff I did like playing Spain and playing England mm -hmm. but that's really not the memories I remember it's like a few specific instances where I hit made this one pass or I hit this one shot or these four guys were on court with me um, stuff like that, but it's just that that stuff's ingrained because the adrenaline, like the hormones, is just uh, some of those stuff is just burned into my brain. Oh yeah, yeah, it's just part of you forever, right? So <laughs> yeah, uh, I I play basketball a little bit as well, and I can I can relate to the feeling of sports being sometimes just the the ultimate feeling, especially when you pull off something that with a team or with with you know nine other people on the court so yeah exactly like uh i mean my best magic memory is a t memory with another person and then beyond that it's like individual stuff that like i don't think about very much but i th you know basketball causes me to think about uh different all these people and moments i had with them mm -hmm. more so than magic 
Was there a particular player that you patterned your game after? Um, various over time, but certainly Rajon Rondo. Like, um, if you guys don't know Rondo, he's like a prickish intellectual. Like he's a, a a general. Like you know, he's a loves they, to pass. They call him Mercurio. Like he's he's basically like an enigma. Like he's probably the smartest guy in the NBA. Not named uh, Baron Davis. I guess Baron Davis is not in the league anymore. But he's mm-hmm. uh, he's certainly one of the one of the best players. But very. Uh, uh, emotional <laughs> can be emotional. Yeah, but as well. I mean that's just one guy. I've had different. For me in basketball, there was a period where I was a scorer, and I would try to put up twenty or thirty every game. Yep. Um, but then I like grew out of that and realized that if I was going to go anywhere with basketball, which I kind of did, not really, but if I was going to go anywhere, I would need to be a true point guard. So I got into that type of thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I also I've got Seattle roots, so I've got a lot of inspiration from Jamal Crawford, Nate Robinson, uh, Isaiah Thomas, uh, some other guy, Peyton Siva, Justin Dentman, and I. I played with not all those guys, but some of them coming up. So it's like that's one of the things about what inspired me with, you know, with Magic, I was able to network with pros. But kind of the same thing with basketball. There's a lot of pros or semi-pros in the community in Seattle. It's like probably the densest. It is the densest uh, in terms of pro point guards in the world. It's just that's kind of why, like, I probably why I got into Seattle and Magic was just for geographical reasons, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. Magic basketball. Yeah, excellent. Uh, so switching, uh, switching gears slightly, you played all these games, and at some point you decided to go, you know, knee deep into into competitive magic. Mm. So the fundamental question I'll ask is, why magic, or why magic being such a large part of or part of your life as opposed to other games or hobbies? Well, I mentioned earlier that it was just the last game standing. It wasn't so much. My favorite game, like I really like it, but it was just the game that survived. So it just made sense. And then, as far as why Magic, I mean, it helps that there's a market to make money in. During college, I kind of decided that I wanted to monetize my hobbies. I thought that was a possible thing to do. So there was Magic and there was basketball and there was music as the three main things I was doing. And I had the most success monetizing magic out of those three. So that is what I kind of went with. Um, I mean, yeah, like it, uh, it's not about the money, but uh, I, in, in a sense, it is about the money. I was, I figured I would be able, if I took a regular job, I would be able to have a hobby outside of the job. But if I was able to monetize one of my hobbies, I could have a hobby outside of my other hobby, and I could do both. That was kind of my thinking. When did you start to realize that? Was that in college, or was that before or after? High school or earlier. I read Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week uh, when I was like 14 or 15, and I was like, all right, I'm going to do this. Uh, um, I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, I remember thinking I was going to be a musician when I was like eight or something like that. My my mother's a an artist, 
Um, so it was like never. It wasn't like I could. I could always be an artist. My parents weren't going to tell me I couldn't be an artist, right? Like, if you can monetize abstract art, abstract art is what my mom did. Does if I if you can monetize that in the family, you can monetize absolutely anything. Mm-hmm. So I kind of had the support of my parents in that from the very beginning. Is like, we can't tell you you can't do anything you want because we're already doing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if they're already doing it, then the you know the there are all there are all these possibilities, right? And you grew up with that. Yeah, there wasn't some. I mean, all, I mean, I know that. I don't know where who everyone in the audience is, but a lot of Asian American immigrant families have this kind of rigid expectation of we're going to do this for this reason. But I mean, we are literally mixed and very eclectic and strange family that it was like it was like it felt like anything was possible. Like I could be a pro, I could be a pro athlete if I wanted to, but I just turned out to be not that not that good at it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you have a lot of choices and that's that's good that your family is able to uh, maybe encourage is the wrong word but they everything seems seems possible if what depending on what you want to do yeah and my, my dad's brother was, was a professional musician um, who later in life turned into a, a shaman whatever that means I haven't seen him work but but I mean yeah there was like there was that was just in the family so I was like, you can do whatever you want. Like, it's not hard to make money. Was the idea? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I did not know that you had a, or that you wanted to become a professional musician at some point. What What was your musical background? Uh, I assume you've been exposed to music all your life because of your family. But uh, can you talk a little bit about about your music background? Yeah. So I we started off playing the recorder, which is pretty basic instrument. Uh, I don't know, like basically as soon as I could and I started reading sheet music. I would write some stuff, some sheet music and I have a memory of being on uh, computer software making music when I was in fourth grade, I think. Mm-hmm. So from there, started studying jazz, picked up the alto sax, played jazz and some jazz bands but didn't love performing live. Decided I preferred to uh, produce music, so got a uh, Mac and started making stuff on GarageBand and producing hip hop and pop stuff, and then and re- did some covers of things so I could figure out chords and I had some understanding of chords from from jazz and then in college started to get into electronic music and I got a hold of Ableton which is like this more expensive software and started producing and learning, mastering a little bit. You know, I never got so pro. Mm-hmm. Um, my stuff is still up there. On If you search Trav with three Vs, you can find some of my remixes and stuff. And I mean, some of my stuff was popular. I had some videos that had like 30,000 plays or like 300, 400 downloads. Um, so it was definitely an option, but it was just like I couldn't figure out how to monetize it before I figured out how to monetize Magic and Basketball. Mm-hmm. And then I wanted to go all in on those, so I kind of dropped music, and I don't produce anymore. I do a little bit of singing. I'm not very good, but I'm in the process of hiring a singing coach. And then uh, maybe later on I release some of that, but it's more just for fun right now. It's, I just like to 
do some music, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, do you, it sounds like you still dabble in music now and then, right? Yeah, I mean, I will, on average, sing for a couple minutes a day or learn a new song every month or two or uh, so, write something, some lyrics a couple times a year. I mean, it's just, it's really, I'm a casual. I'm really a casual at it, but it's fun, and I encourage everyone to, to make art. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, it's something that I did not know, but um, it's it's just you have such a diverse background of interests, which is which is great. I like to do things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's uh, that that might be that should actually be the the intro to like what do you do? Like I like to do things. <laughs> yeah, I tell people I do things on the internet usually. Ah, okay, okay, cool. Um, so if I may go back to magic a little bit, mm -hmm. you know, you, you've been playing so many years with your brother and also uh, on your own competitively. Mm -hmm. What's the best magic related memory you've ever had? Oh, I mean, it was the, the moment actually, you know, it, 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 the whole extension of the memory was, uh, go, going down to, I've got a series of memories talking about in Seattle going to Oakland going to Oakland uh, making the top eight together uh, taking that picture which I remember and then we went to Spain meeting up in Spain and hanging out in Spain yeah. and playing in the tournament and then we both got knocked out of cash in the last round and um, I think I was like nine and eight or nine and seven or something like that mm -hmm. I don't remember but we both ended up dropping and leaving the tournament together and it was like I mean honestly like right now I almost tear up not that I did it I, I didn't at the time but it's like mm -hmm. that that is my best memory so it was it was great and then but it had kind of a bittersweet finish to it it wasn't bittersweet it wasn't it was it wasn't bittersweet at all like the goal wasn't to win the pro tour together it was to do it um it's not crying like ah we didn't it's just like you when you want something to happen for twenty years and it does it uh it is powerful mm -hmm. it's the it's the journey right I mean yes, but when when the journey ends because you've arrived at the destination, it's surreal, it's really surreal, right. Yeah, that's uh, that's some powerful stuff. Um, uh, okay, so now looking at Travis in 2016, what's something that you've learned by now that you would go back and tell yourself if you could go back five years? Um, hmm, mostly to... first read more I took a period where I felt like I wasn't learning that much um, take more chances also stay in my lane more in terms of my subject matter of but then again like it's hard to, it's hard to really it's it's hard for me to really learn from being told things I'm the type of person that I mean some people it'd be nice if I could learn through just being told things but some things 
need to learn through experience maybe i don't know like social media like how to manage social media better probably actually that probably that'd be the number one thing like here's how you win at social media because social media only came into being like five years ago right i mean, mm-hmm. I mean a little bit before but sure friendster whatever you know facebook came on the scene and like uh, eight years ago or something like that or uh, no ten years ago mm-hmm. it's not that long yeah yeah and there's no guides on how to use any of this stuff mm-hmm. so I mean I didn't know what I was doing and uh, I definitely didn't play it perfect mm-hmm. um, and I think that that is super obvious now but at the time there was like again there's no guides for how to do it mm-hmm. now there's actually guides and I would go back in time and and give myself the guide of here's how to here's how to use social media here's how not to use social media yeah i mean if you ever teach a course about that i love to take the course because <laughs> I'm, I'm still trying to figure it out like in terms of the social media do you mean like in terms of building an audience and connecting with people or is it something else well it took me forever to figure out how to deal with like quote-unquote trolls and now i feel like i've pretty much mastered it but I just had no idea for the longest time. Like, who are these people? Where are they coming from? What are they trying to do? Like, what should I ignore them? Should I fight them? Should I uh, send them hearts? Like, I just had no idea who these people were, what they, like, how, I just had no idea. But now it's like... Um, What's your approach now? Um... It depends on the venue. So, but I mean, for the most part, it, so I mean, it, it's just now I understand where people are coming from. So there's like people who are genuinely unhappy, mm-hmm. and they they, you can you can win them to your side by like showing them some love. Um, and then there's people who are blatantly shit posting, which is they're just fucking ab- about like that's trolling, mm-hmm. and you can shit post them back, and they laugh. And then there's people who are just like socially unaware, and then you should just assume the best from them. Mm-hmm. Um, and you should basically never like be really mad <laughs> in reaction. Like, yeah. Um, uh, I mean, you can actually respond to everything, but mm-hmm. just if you want people into those like three main groups or uh, of like tr- quote unquote trolls it's like pretty easy to have good interactions with everyone and so in, in a way it's sort of just understanding where they're coming from and just reading the situation right yeah um for the longest time it's like fuck these people for disrespecting me or mm-hmm. you're negative you need to go away and i just uh over time have kind of I mean I'm not perfect at it now but again like that that caused me a lot of grief over the years of, of uh, and I, I and I know I hurt people's feelings as well just not knowing how to handle it but mm-hmm. but uh, I mean now I've learned and that's great but if I could have shortcutted that process it would have uh, probably would be much further along by now yeah, on the other hand, I think my question is probably flawed, right? Because it assumes that there is some shortcut, whereas by your answer, it sounds like you had to learn through experience, and there wasn't some handbook that said, uh, do this and do this. Yeah, um, that's true in some cases. I mean, like, like I'm getting a singing coach because I'll learn faster that way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
so uh, I mean I will get coaching on most things if I can but uh, I mean I, I've taken how to social media courses now but they didn't exist five years ago on um, the way they do now so I mean in this case maybe I did have to learn through I guess nobody really knew back then uh, maybe some people did but uh, in this case you might be right that there's like there was no shortcut because there was no guide because it was totally a frontier that was developing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but on the other hand I, I think you have uh, an incredible position because I mean there's got to be a part of you that thinks you know you have these trolls you have haters but there's probably more people who love your content than people that hate it right so in the aggregate or in the in the long run you're 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 providing content that people enjoy right yeah definitely but i mean i, I think honest like my audience is reasonably large for magic but in the grand scheme of things it's pretty small i do love my my audience and it's and it's great but also again like these i, I don't really see trolls as haters anymore either they're shit posting for a laugh or they're actually really hurt or they are just socially inept so um i mean uh it's not i'm not like think of them as trolls and haters anymore but like c can kind of imagine where they're coming from by what they're saying i see okay so are there specific lessons that you've learned about magic that you have applied to other parts of your life yes it's really hard to there's too many there's too many to, to go into too many details on so I'll just go with a few the first one is opportunity cost uh, like you can't just put more things in without losing other things you know you can't add a card without decreasing your chances so uh, I mean one of the reasons I've been able to do so many things in my life is because I figured out like things that I could cut for instance TV mm -hmm. I just cut that and magic helped me figure out that if I did that I would be able to fit in these other things cut um, kind, I mean I, I'm kind of into like occasional party is cool but I kind of cut that because uh, like instead I could train mm -hmm. um, and so on so uh, I call that the 60 card lifestyle if you had to make list out your 60 card lifestyle what would it be that helped me yeah that's then a great other, philosophy yeah the other thing that helped me a lot was um was was uh, experiencing hard work paying off i don't think it had ever really i had ever really experienced it on as much as scale until i had that first grand prix top eight because i practiced for two hours a day for like two months before that tournament which is above and beyond what anyone would do mm -hmm. and I you know I had like a part-time job at the time and invested it in a trip to like gamble basically mm -hmm. but the hard work paid off and I was like wow that actually like well I can really do anything that I work at so um, you know actually experiencing that is extremely powerful I mean not everyone really experiences that I, I I didn't I had in smaller degrees but up not not really up until that point 
Yeah, that's a powerful feeling, right? And it's not even the two months leading up to the to that tournament, but it's like the decade that you've been playing. I mean, it all kind of builds up to uh, culminating in something. And and I, yeah, I mean, that's just how I see it from from hearing your story. So yeah, it was really it went from like okay I really can be good at anything I want if I put in the work what do I want to be good at you know like uh, growth mindset a lot of people think that I'm either good at this or I'm not good at this but I really experienced that you just get better for instance a lot of people would assume that they can't sing and they wouldn't go and seek a coach but my experience with magic caused me to go seek acceleration shortcuts Mm -hmm. mm-hmm mm-hmm and is it fair to say that it gave you confidence that you could Oh do? yeah, so much. Okay. Okay. Any other lessons you want to to highlight? Well, if you wanted to go into this, I saw from the questions you had prepared, you were going to ask about TEDx and yeah, let's let's talk about that. I mean, I'm I I saw your TEDx talks. They are excellent. Uh lots of food for thought. I want to know how you started doing, how did you get involved in the in the TEDx sure. talks? Yeah, but, but I, I will explain that, but I also want to say that the TEDx thing is really a parallel to me of the living end thing because my first talk is not very good. You can watch it. It is just not, it's not a, it's just not a great speech. I don't think anyone would say it's amazing. I, I have fairly high standards and I give it like 2 or 3 out of 10. Mm-hmm. Um, but that wasn't the end for me. I realized I didn't prepare very well and I wanted to do it again and was able to make it happen. And I prepared, I practiced, I rehearsed every day for five months or something like that. And it went awesome. It didn't go perfect, but I gave myself a nine out of 10. So that like um, uh, was like the same thing for me in terms of uh, uh, seeing hard work pay off. But yeah, so for those of you guys interested in this, if you want to to do a TEDx talk, it's really not that hard to do. There's one happening almost every day somewhere in the world. You can apply. It would be the easiest way um, online or figure out where they are and call the people who are doing it. Although it helps if you have something prepared already. In my case, I was an expert at magic and I had some kind of cross appeal and was traveling around at the time. So I just happened to come to a town where someone was putting on TEDx. Um, Actually, she owns this house. My landlord, landlady, also owns New Games, uh, and they have two card stores, and she puts on TEDx. So she reached out to me and said, hey, no one's really talked about this game on TEDx. Would you like to do it? I'm going to give you five minutes to do it. I was like, sure, whatever. I'll, I'll do it, okay. And I kind of winged it. It wasn't. It really wasn't that good. But I mean, I was able to do that because I was so good that I couldn't be ignored in some way. You know, I was recruited. However, I wasn't good. I was easy to ignore <laughs> in terms of my performance. Mm. And the second time around, it was like, okay, I was recruited. Why didn't I do a good job? I didn't prepare. Why didn't I prepare? Because I it was just gifted to me. I didn't. It wasn't something I was necessarily. I'm passionate about magic, but like five minutes to talk about the game is like not that exciting, you know. Um, or it wasn't to me. 
so I was like, what would I be really excited to talk about? Well, um, and I thought about what, uh, and I asked people what they would be excited to talk about, and I decided I would talk about stairs because I, I go downstairs backwards. I'm not going to go into really why in this. Um, the video, the official video is not out yet, but you guys will be able to see that soon. And I made videos on this. I, I had uh, basically my speech prepared before even pitching it, which is an important thing for those of you guys who would like to do this. And this is also how I got deck text. I would have deck text prepared, and I go to the person who chooses deck text or the person who puts on TEDx and say, I have this cool presentation. Here it is. What do you like to use this, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that like basically I saw TEDx as a kind of a deck tech, right, feature match. Sure, so, yeah. Like, you know, for feature matches, I used to go to – people think that you're randomly selected for that. No, actually, you go to – Brian David Marshall and you show him your deck really and you're excited and explain why it's cool and tell him you'd love to present for him right Mm -hmm. and this was the same case like Laura I have such a cool talk I know I didn't do a great job next time but but I'm preparing and no one's ever done this and I'm really excited and it's gonna be awesome presentation she's like all right well sure and I wouldn't have gotten this opportunity if I hadn't already prepared ahead of time right yeah absolutely so uh, and then from that point on I executed I tried to get a speaking coach but found that it was like I couldn't get cheaper than like a thousand dollars for a coach I wasn't excited to work with so I ended up joining Toastmasters and uh, reading two books on TED presentations you know I really went all out and it went awesome again it's not the official one is not out yet um uh, but I'll be excited to share that with you when it happens, hopefully by the start of uh, July. Yeah, I'm sure that a lot of people will uh, will really enjoy it, as I did. Um, I think I saw it posted on maybe your Facebook page or Twitter or something. Um, but yeah, it was... it's it's like I have it private on my page. I wasn't really supposed to post it at all, so I mean, I, I can <laughs> I basically took it down. Mm-hmm. It's like I didn't. I don't know. I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do that. It wasn't explained to me. But uh, yeah. Uh, you mentioned that you uh, you you read the Four Hour Workweek when you were young. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if you ever heard the Tim Ferriss podcast where he interviewed uh, Amanda Palmer, who spoke at TED. I did not. Okay. Well, uh, even for someone who's a professional musician and performer, she talked on the show about how stressful it was, and there was a real art to condensing the 20 minutes she thought she was going to say into five minutes and she basically stressed out about it over six months and so Mm -hmm. there's a uh as you know right i I don't know personally because i haven't done a ted Mm -hmm. talk but i there i imagine there's a there's a huge craft to it like it's not like anything else because it's not exactly you 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 understand what i'm saying right because yeah yeah exactly there's a whole it, 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 some people assume that public speaking is natural gift. Not at all. I took public speak. I mean, there's there's a picture of me on stage when I'm like seven and the three little pigs with. I'm terrified. My eyes are <laughs> squeezed shut. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I took public speaking and I studied public speakers who weren't good and apparently they the best TED presentations look natural, but they're just so rehear- they're re- they have hundreds and hundreds of hours into them. So I figured I would do the same thing. And, I mean, things that you can do is you can storyboard your thing. You don't write a script, but you you draw a picture of it. 
or I mean, I like uh, I did a, and I got this from a book. I you know I I spent I talked at man I can go into some some of the more absurd detail of, of what I put into this. I talked to maybe a dozen people about what I should wear. I um, uh, I rehearsed it again maybe over a hundred times, and I made several YouTube videos mm-hmm. for it. I Tim Ferriss got his four-hour workweek title from split testing Google Ads, and I did a similar thing on my. I have an email list, and I split test an email and saw which one got more opens, and picked that one as my title. Um, and I scripted it with the words on the left side and the body movements on the right side. So I knew exactly what gestures I would do and when. Mm-hmm. And that was, I mean, that's the kind of detail that goes into a good presentation. Um, and again, it didn't go perfect, but it went pretty well. As far as anxiety, Honestly, I had never been more excited. <laughs> that was so much fun, and and you can see it on my face. I'm so happy to be up there. Mm-hmm. Um, it uh yeah, you can't fake that. Yeah, that came through some affirmation. I you know I I read a lot of books to prepare for this. Mm-hmm. The same book Bounce I mentioned about science of success. This book talks about choking versus not choking. It's written by an Olympic ping pong player, mm-hmm. and. Uh, like what you say you're immediately before going out there can affect your performance. So uh, before going up on stage, I'm sitting on the side, writing in my journal. I'm perform my best with the biggest audience. I'm calm when I'm waiting. I love to be on stage. I uh, have the most fun with the most pressure and stuff like that. So by the time I got up there, if I believe that at all, it's just, you know, it's like the greatest 10 minutes, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And so it sounds like when you were actually on that stage, once the the talk began and the second talk, um, it just went by, right? Like you didn't have the, you didn't have the anxiety by then because you had already done all the, the hard work and preparation leading to that. Is that, is that fair to say? I cherished it. That was one of the most fun times. I, I mean, I did things like asking the audience to stand up and sit down. Um, so I planned it that the more people, the the more fun it would be, mm-hmm. and that really worked out. And yeah, there was no ang- there wasn't once I was up there, there wasn't anxiety. It just was. I was cold. It was perfect. Although the first time, oh, here's another detail, and I think this is worth sharing, just because like here's how much detail you can go into preparation for anything. I mean, I did the same thing for basketball, for magic, and so on. The first time, they put this big red blinking light on stage, and that's one of the reasons why I failed, is because I hadn't prepared with the countdown timer, and it just threw me off my game. So, the second time around, I practiced with a big clock right in front of my face a bunch of times so that I would be used to that and then I imagined there being like a million people watching Uh, just yeah just so by the time I went out there it was like so fun and so easy and it went better than I had ever done it in in rehearsal by design so it was just uh, uh, that was fun yeah that's important right because it's all about um, under like rehearsing under the game situation or game speed it's kind of like how 
uh, I would imagine like DeAndre Jordan, if he's shooting free throws in an empty gym, he's probably making like nine out of ten free throws. But it's different when there's a screaming crowd uh, yeah. during the game. You know what I'm saying? That was a crossover lesson for me from Michael Jordan. If you, he has some YouTube videos on how he practices free throws, and he pra- he imagines there's screaming people screaming in his face, and he practices shooting with his eyes closed and stuff like that. So I took that directly from Michael Jordan for my TEDx preparation. That's awesome. Yeah, and and this again, this is why I'm I'm not a wildly successful person, but in a few been successful at a few things, and it's because I've done so many things. There's so many crossover lessons. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when it comes to uh, crossover lessons and you know different things across your 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 life, I, I not sure how you would answer this, but do you have any? weekly or daily rituals when it comes to magic specifically like do you have a routine or habit that you constantly go back to um yeah i try to play one match a day and record it and upload it because i think that i'm not really a binging person one moment as i drink i try to do everything that i would want to do every day mm-hmm one, for a short period rather than like you know binging on tournaments or whatever so and magic's also has kind of become my largest platform to share random things that I'm interested in mm-hmm. so yeah pretty much daily ritual is play a match online and talk to magic players what do you guys talk about? Do you have any specific things that you approach people about or they approach you about? I mean, this for instance, like whatever. But I mean, a lot I mean, as far as right now, a lot of what I talk I, I I coach a lot of people, help them get better. We have a mastermind a small mastermind which is basically a coaching group. So, that's part of my daily right now is helping players get better specifically at magic as well. So uh, that's part of what I'm doing. Got it. Okay. And uh, earlier on in the in in our talk, you mentioned that you had a mentor. Well, I guess first it was you playing with your brother, but Elliot. But then there was you said the best player in Seattle kind of took you guys under his wing. Um, who was he specifically, and how did he help you improve your game and outlook? So that yeah, this is Mike Thompson. Mike actually passed away last week, which is really sad. But Mike was Mike is, has been Hall of Fame eligible for about 10 years. I'm not sure how many Pro Tours he's played in, but he's got over 100 Pro points. And he was a role model because he was so- social and athletic and handsome. And he's just like, well, magic is a cool thing. And he took us under by just watching us play. He's just... This guy had a gift of making people feel... Uh, welcome, but I mean, we did some team drafts with him at nationals, uh, so got to have him watch me play. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was watching over my shoulder when I won my qualifier match to play in nationals. I've only played in nationals once, although I've been qualified a couple times, and that that was extremely helpful. Just as like, here's a cool guy who is really good at what you do, and is somewhat like you but older, right? And has done everything you do. And later on, we. Uh, roomed and played together in Amsterdam on the Pro Tour 
so that was another one of those moments where I was like, you know, 15, 10, 15 years in the works. Did, did he help you think about or approach the game differently? Yeah. Um, I mean, he was a master at like... He was not only very, very good strategically, but he, he was a, a master manipulator and bluffer inside the game. Um, he would do he would do this thing called encroachment, which is where you I mean this is going to sound ridiculous, but he he was kind of a clown like a troll. Mm -hmm. um, he would advance his pieces towards your end of the table, like you're playing chess, mm -hmm. but with card and it's a sub game you don't know what's going on. Um, he wouldn't do this all the time, but sometimes for humor. Mm -hmm. So I mean he was capable of playing like multiple games at once, um, and that helped because it I started to pay attention to uh, this guy is basically and by the way so, some of these early pros and players weren't were no, known to be sketchy or cheating but Mike never had that uh, that reputation or I never heard anything about that but basically Mike was extremely uh, I would say he was socially gifted mm -hmm. and he used that to his advantage in game and um, that made me see that it, like we we mastered the tech the technical the technical game online mm -hmm. but that kind of i think gave us the uh, elevated us our psychologically to play the game uh, play the opponent better mm -hmm. like there was a game within the game or a game outside of the game and he sort of helped you see that yeah we i used to be really obvious about whether i was drawing well or poorly, you know, telegraphing. Mm -hmm. And I think that playing with and against him, you know, you couldn't ever tell if you were winning or losing against him. Uh, he just didn't let anything on. Um, and then he would win out of nowhere. It, it was just, yeah. Uh, I mean, that was an early memory, a mentor. I'm not going to go into detail on these, but mm -hmm. Mike Flores helped me uh, get my content career going. And LSV helped me with content and uh, playing and social media. And Ben Stark uh, helped my limited game a lot. And Patrick Chapin uh, helped me in a couple ways mm -hmm. uh, as well. So, I mean, I was able to... I'm sure that there's probably a few people I'm forgetting. Mm -hmm. But I reached out and some of these people really helped me. Right. Do you have any mentor figures outside of Magic right now? Yeah, so definitely. Um, I mean, my parents to a degree, uh, the landlord that I'm living with who organizes TED and uh, manages two card shops, obviously impressive. Mm -hmm. I was just living with... Uh, I, live, I like to live with older people who are ahead of me in life. I was just living with this uh, a mentor, Jordan, and then I have a I pay for coaching and I seek coaching. I have a business coach, mentorship. I have a chess mentor. I have a a Spanish teacher. So I mean, I try to surround myself with people who are ahead of me and the things I'm doing. And then I have like some remote mentorships, like Gary Vaynerchuk and Ty Lopez are some of the guys who are kind of teaching me how social media works without me actually talking to them. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, I have had 
I've had a lot of good mentor relationships, and I have, and hopefully we'll make many more, or some more. And it sounds like now you're in the practice of mentoring others as well, correct? Yeah, definitely, in a few different arenas. I coach some basketball players, I coach majority Magic players, and I coach some people with goal setting and where they're trying to get, and some people with social media, and some people with content. I mean, um, basically, anytime you're ahead of someone or successful at something, you're in a position to mentor. Right. Well, that's that's awesome. I might have to uh, <laughs> ask you about a few things in the future. Um, yeah. That's, that's great. Uh, uh, shifting gears again slightly. Mm-hmm. Oh man, you've talked about so many great things already in terms of in terms of magic and otherwise. But if I were to ask you maybe just the main points, mm-hmm. uh, what are some ways that you really feel like magic has enriched your life? Yeah, it's hard to even go beyond what I've said. Mm-hmm. Um, it has. Like, it's uh, such a big part of you already, so it's maybe yeah. it's hard to imagine a world where it wasn't part of your life, right? So. It's given me a platform to share my ideas, and it's given me a lot of confidence, and I've had a lot of fun and met a lot of cool people, so it's just, it has enriched my life. Right. Well, that's great. And you've been streaming for a while, right? Like, you, you, you do a lot of content, um... Can you talk to me a little bit about your streams in terms of just why you do it and and when mm-hmm. you start and and just mm-hmm. the practice of getting started? Because I'm I'm somebody who uh-huh. has not ever streamed before or or put my public life out there so much. Uh-huh. I'm wondering what went through your mind to start it and when did you do it? When did you say I'm going to do this? So I started streaming. I mean, I started streaming as soon as it was a thing, and I graduated from school. I figured I was going to go all in on Magic, and that was around 2012. Um, however, I don't actually stream anymore. I post to YouTube twice daily. Mm-hmm. Um, I would stream to YouTube, but my internet sucks here, and that's the main reason I'm not streaming right now is my internet is not good. Mm-hmm. However, um, also, I would bet on YouTube over Twitch, Okay, well, first I'll say, like, why stream? Because it is a way to share, and it's a way to learn. You can ask questions and um, interact with people from all over the world. It can be really amazing. Mm -hmm. However, if you put yourself in a situation where anyone can say anything and you read it and react to it live, obviously people are going to abuse that and... Um, this is what what I talked about with social media is I, I would go back I would not not put my chat on screen or really interact with chat in that way because of shit posters mm-hmm. um, and this isn't just true of me if you look at any major twitch stream it's full of shit posters more than YouTube just because of the live you get a live reaction mm-hmm. so um, this is one of the reasons why I've sh- more shipped to, to videos and then the second reason is YouTube is owned by Google. Those are the one, number one and number two biggest search engines in the world, so it's easy to get discovered through there. Mm-hmm. Twitch is owned by Amazon, which is one of the biggest companies in the world, but is not really a search engine, and Twitch is not really a search engine. And unless you're 
one of the top two or three or four or five streamers in a game, you're not going to get discovered at all. So um, I would basically recommend to people starting off to go to YouTube and not Twitch for a few reasons. I see. And even though you're not actively streaming now, you said that you've been uploading your content once a day, so you're still twice getting, a day. Twice a day, so you're still getting feedback from people, which uh, helps you improve, right? Oh, definitely. And my big thing is I ask for questions about what I can do better. Um, you know, uh, almost, I think that and that's surprisingly very rare in social media and uh, YouTube channels is seeing someone constantly ask his audience what he can do better. And it's funny that I, I, I have a self-development vibe. I know I do. It's like, here's how you can make yourself better. Mm-hmm. But it's just... Uh, it's, it's I, I ask more questions than almost anyone, I, I feel, or I try to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just expresses, you see me improve. People have been following me. If, if someone's been following me since 2010, um, it's I think it's kind of amazing what's happened since then but I think that's certainly why I've enjoyed your work is because you you have this degree of uh, humility to yourself where you're asking questions because I see a lot of social media out there it's sort of like look at me I'm good and look at me I'm great and buy this buy that and it's um, it's a little bit like people can smell BS when they when mm-hmm. they when they see it and some people can pull it off well I mean if you're Michael Jordan sure but um, but I think uh, you have not only the confidence but you have the humility and the ability to ask for feedback and just by the way we've been talking for the past hour I think it's been really clear to me that you are self-aware and you reflect on things so I, I think that's that's something that comes across in your in your online persona if you will I think that's become more and more true I mean, um, I haven't always been as self-aware, and I haven't um, been as good about feedback. Um, but I think that's true now. As I, I, uh, I mean, I'll say I'm really good at something, but I want to get better. So how do I get better? You know, I mean, Michael Jordan is famous for um, having mentors and training with mentors. He talked shit on the court but he was out training with more skilled players right right it's all about personal improvement and uh yeah that's um that's that's good uh so if i may end uh, mm-hmm. our, our interview with one one final question mm-hmm. tell me what you're really excited about right now like what what's the thing that lets you makes you want to get up in the morning and uh and do what you do um honestly I'm excited honestly right now the thing I'm most excited about is my is the TEDx I'm fresh off it and the video isn't out yet and I know it'll be a while till it is but mm-hmm. I just can't You're still wait on to that show high, people. right yeah <laughs> well I just I haven't been able to show people really I mean some people have watched like an unofficial version mm-hmm. uh, but you know the real thing is not out and no one has seen it. I haven't seen it. And, uh, uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily get me out of bed in the morning because I can't do anything about it but wait. But, you know, I'm excited. Like, so I'm excited to grow my YouTube. I'm excited to get better at things. Um, I'm excited to travel more. 
I'm excited to have grown my business. Uh, you know, progress. I like. Uh, I'm a numbers guy. I like seeing numbers go up. So, mm-hmm. uh, I guess I get out of bed for various numbers, um, and also get out of bed because I'm excited to be alive. Like I think about death often, and um, I think we should all be pretty grateful to be alive and here right now. Yeah, I think uh, I can share that feeling with you. You know, in terms of living every day with some gratitude and just kind of being in the moment right i think that's bro uh, holy shit we're alive right now (laughs) that's so unlikely it's a miracle miracle. (laughs) yeah it's a miracle that we're talking (laughs) i mean we we, for the vast majority of the future we're going to be dead so holy shit what can i do right now exactly exactly uh so yeah, Travis, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. I myself have learned a lot just from our, our conversation here. And uh, I, I thank you so much for the time. And I hope that we can talk again in the near future. Yeah, James, um, you definitely buttered me up. Thanks for that. But you also asked some asked better questions than almost any um, interviewer. Is They weren't bland and you were able to connect things back. So thanks for thanks for uh, picking my brain and, 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 and listening to me ramble. I really appreciate it. No, I love learning from people, man. And I certainly got that today uh, from talking to you. So thank you. Yeah, thank you as well.